Bibles and turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 16. Once you get there, you can hold your place and turn over to John chapter 14. All right. Mark chapter 16 will be our main text today. But before we get there, I want to read a couple of different passages of Scripture before we get to that. In John chapter 14, in verse 19, Jesus says this, Yet a little while in the world uh, seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. If you haven't been with us in, on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock, we've been working our way through the Gospel of John. And uh, I don't want to jump ahead too far in our study through John. We're still in chapter 13. And so we're not going to preach out of the Gospel of John today, although we're going to be back to the Gospel of John a few different times uh, this morning. But Jesus makes this statement, because I live you're going to live also. And that is truly uh, the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we have hope, confident expectation that because He lives, we have the guarantee of our eternal destiny and security in Christ. We're going to live also. And again, we'll be back to the Gospel of John in just a little bit, but our, our text this morning is the end of the Gospel of Mark. And I asked you to hold your place there, and I want you to keep your place there, because before we get to that, I want you to turn over 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And naturally, we're going to consider the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ today. But I want to begin by borrowing from the Apostle Paul a portion of the letter that he wrote, inspired by the Spirit of God to the church at Corinth. And in this portion of Scripture, he lays out the importance of the resurrection for us. Now look with me in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 8. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, He was seen of James. Then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. Now we'll read, can read on, and we'll get to the rest of this portion of Scripture later on in the message as well. But I want you to notice, uh, by the words of the Apostle Paul here, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ occupies the greatest footprint of this portion of Scripture. The first few verses talk about the gospel. It's a reference to the death of Christ. He makes a reference to the burial of Christ. But the main emphasis is on the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
The reason for that is that the resurrection of Christ is not simply just a component of the gospel. It's not merely a feature of the gospel. The resurrection is the main event of the gospel. It is, in fact, the greatest event in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the culminating event in the divine redemption plan of God. It is the cornerstone of the gospel promise. And friend, the resurrection of Christ is the guarantee of eternal life for you and for me. It is the cornerstone. In fact, friend, without the resurrection the cross would actually mean nothing. The teaching of Jesus would mean nothing. The works of Jesus would mean nothing because without the resurrection, there would be no salvation. The resurrection is not the epilogue, friend. It is the climax of the life of Jesus Christ and His work of redemption. And so it's an important thought. It's an important subject. And I want you to go over to Mark, since I had you hold your place there. And we're going to consider from the Gospel of Mark, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. The title of the message is, He is Risen. And you'll see that from our portion of Scripture. Now follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. We're going to consider this passage here and a few different things out of this passage. And the first thing that I want to draw your attention to is that we find in the first three verses a ministry of love, but an unnecessary action. You say, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? A ministry of love, but an unnecessary action. Well, let's look at these verses again. The Bible tells us that when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. In these first two verses here, we see their love and their devotion for Jesus. It's, it's quite clear that these ladies loved the Lord and they were devoted to him. The Bible says that they brought spices to anoint the body of Jesus because they loved him. Now, it was custom of the Jews to anoint the body of a deceased loved one with perfumed oils and such. 
And that was both out of respect for the dead, certainly, but it was also to mask the odor of death. Now, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had already done this, what these ladies are wanting to do. And we'll read a couple passages of Scripture here, but it'll tell us and show us that they had already done this, but they did it in a hurry because, because uh, they, the Sabbath was coming and they had to get the body off the cross. They had to get it in the tomb because it was unlawful. And so they were in a hurry to anoint the body of Jesus and they didn't do a real good job like they would normally do. So look at chapter 15, Mark chapter 15. And look at verse 42. And now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead. And calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew, uh, when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he bought fine linen, and took him down, and wrapped him in the linen, and laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock, and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. Okay, so we find Joseph of Arimathea who sought the body of Jesus. He bought fine linen, he wrapped Jesus' body, and then they put him in the sepulcher. Now let's cross-reference that with John chapter 19. So go to John chapter 19. And look in verse 38. John 19, 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh, and aloes, about an hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus, and wound it in the linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is, to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand." And so we find here that Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, had already done what these ladies who are coming to the tomb wanted to do. But they were in a hurry because of the day of preparation. And, the, and, and so they couldn't do an adequate job. And so I believe that's why the Bible tells us here that these ladies came that they might anoint the body of Jesus, and they came very early in the morning on the first day of the week because the Sabbath was now passed. This was the first chance that they had. The first chance that they had to come back to the Lord. And so they came to the tomb early that morning because they were devoted to Him and they wanted to minister to Him once more. These ladies were about the only ones that stayed with Jesus to the end. In Mark chapter 15, again in verse 46, the Bible says that Joseph had bought the, these fine linens, that he laid the body in the tomb, 
that they rolled the stone unto the door of the sepulcher. And the Bible says in verse 47, And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. They were still there. They were with the Lord at the cross. They were with the Lord when he was buried. They were about the only ones who stayed with the Lord to the very end. We see their love and devotion. We see their ministry of love and devotion. But then if you look in verse 3 of our text, we find their doubt. We see their doubt. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? So as they hurried to the tomb that morning, it dawned on them that they couldn't move this stone out of the way by themselves to get access to the Lord's body because it was too big. Well, it was custom of wealthy Jews to carve out tombs into the limestone hillside of that region. And what they would do is they would, there would be an inclined track that was carved into the rock in front of the entry uh, to that tomb. And, and they, would, they would carve out a rock that was flat, and they would stand it up on its side. They would put it in that track, and so then they would roll that stone down over the entry of the tomb. Those stones would vary in size. But the point was that they were massive. They were big. They were too heavy for these ladies to move themselves Hence the question, who's going to roll the stone away for us? They didn't have the ability to do it. And as they make their way to the tomb, I want you to get the picture. It's early in the morning. They're devoted to Jesus. They didn't have a proper burial, and they didn't, weren't able to anoint His body as the custom was. They love the Lord so much. The first chance that they get, they're coming to the tomb, and it dawns on them, Who's going to move the stone for us because it's too big? As they come to the tomb that, that morning, they're filled with sorrow. They're filled with grief. Because the one that they put all their hopes and their dreams in had died. The one that they thought would be the, 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 the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the one who would deliver them. He's dead. He's gone. The reason that they came to the tomb that morning was because they were not looking for a risen Savior. They were looking for a dead man. That's what they were looking for. And the real problem, the real problem was that they were living in unbelief. That's the real problem. Had they believed Jesus' words to them prior to this. They wouldn't be worried about whether his body was stinking already. They wouldn't be worried about whether or not they needed to anoint his body with spices. They wouldn't have been worried about rolling the stone away because it was Sunday. It had been three days. It had been three nights since he was put into the, to the tomb. He had been crucified. He died. But the tomb in their mind, if they really believed, would have been empty. If they had really believed his words, they wouldn't be looking for the fact that he was dead. They would have been looking for the fact that he wasn't there, just like he said. Sure, they, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. There was no doubt about that. 
But you know what they didn't believe, friend? Right here, look at me. You know what they didn't believe? They didn't believe his words or the prophecy in Scripture concerning him. Let's just take a look at Jesus' own words to them. Go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, please. John chapter 2 in verse 19. The Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and thou wilt rear it up in three days. But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. Now this is after the fact. That's a commentary that John is making that later on his disciples believed this. But Jesus prophesied, Jesus said well before his death that he would rise again from the grave. Go back to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And look at verse 21. Matthew 16 and verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Jesus is showing his disciples. He's teaching his disciples that this is what is going to happen to me. In Mark chapter 8, the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 8, in verse 31, the Bible says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus is teaching his disciples what is going to happen that after three days he would rise again? Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 22. Luke 9, 22 says, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. What am I saying here? Jesus gave them his words. Jesus told them prior to this what was going to happen. The problem, again, that I'm getting at is that they were living in unbelief. They believed that he was the Messiah, but they didn't believe his words that he had already told them. And when you look at our text, the angel says, Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. He already told you this. And let me make this application here this morning. There's a lot of people today who are living in unbelief. Living in unbelief. Some, even in this room perhaps, are in this condition of living in unbelief. You know, you would say, you would say that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You would say that you believe that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus rose again the third day for sinners. You might even acknowledge yourself to be a sinner. And yet, friend, if you are here this morning and you have not repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are proving by your own actions that you do not believe. You say you believe, but your actions say otherwise. 
You acknowledge the fact that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is even alive today. But if you've not repented of your sin by your lack of action, you're showing that you actually don't believe. You're living in unbelief. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3 and verse 7, the Bible says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, and said they do always err in their heart, and they have, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest." Take heed, therefore, excuse me. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, I don't have the time to explain all of this here, but this passage here is referring to the nation of Israel and referring to all the proof that God had given them, and yet they refused to believe God. Well, when you get to verse 12, Paul makes the comparison with people today who have all the evidence that they need as well, and yet they still don't believe. They have an evil heart of unbelief. What is that evidence? Well, we have the evidence of the Scriptures. Jesus says, repent or perish. We have the evidence of, of, the, of the life of Jesus, and we have the evidence. Listen, today we have the evidence of other people who had a life changed by the power of God in salvation. There's evidence all around. And people even say they believe, but by their will, unwillingness to repent, they prove that they have an evil heart of unbelief. And that evil heart of unbelief is in danger of being hardened toward God. Just like the nation of Israel. These ladies, when they came to the tomb that morning, although they were motivated by love for Jesus, the things that they were attempting to do would have been unnecessary had they truly believed the words that Jesus spoke to them while he was alive. There would have been no need to bring spices to wrap the body because he's not there. Amen? So we see that they had a ministry of love here, but it was an unnecessary action. And the real issue was that they had a heart that was unbelieving at the time. But I want you to go back to our text in Mark chapter 16, because I want you to see next this powerful message in a change of direction. This powerful message they receive that changed their direction. In verse 4, the Bible says, And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed, neither said any 
thing to any man, for they were afraid. Now, when these ladies arrive at the tomb, their fear that they started with was changed to amazement. Mark says, when they looked. You notice that in verse verse 4? And when they looked, as they walked toward the tomb, you can imagine that they were walking to the tomb with their heads down, with their heads bowed, with their, with their eyes downcast because of the sorrow and the grief over the fact that they loved Jesus so much and he was dead now. But as they neared the tomb, they lifted up their eyes and they saw that the massive stone actually was rolled away. The question that they, they had, who's going to roll the stone away from the door? Well, it was gone. It was moved. It was rolled away. And the entrance into the tomb was wide open. You know what? They didn't know about the earthquake that had already happened. They didn't know about the angel rolling the stone away. They didn't know about the soldiers who fainted in fear and were like dead men. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 8. They didn't know about those things. And so as they come to the tomb, all they see in front of them is that the tomb is opened. And when they go inside the tomb, the Bible says that they found a young man sitting on the right side. He's clothed in a white garment. Now, if we take the time to look at some of the other Gospels, and we won't do that, we know from the other Gospel accounts that this is no ordinary young man. This individual is an angel. This angel begins to speak to the women. And what he speaks to them is a message that totally changes their direction. The message that he speaks to them was designed to help them stop living in unbelief and start going in a new direction. It was a powerful message that ultimately produced real change in their life. What was that message? We'll look at verse 6. He saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Notice the message where he says, be not affrighted. When they saw the angel, they were filled with fear. The word affrighted here literally means to be struck with terror. And he tells them, there's no reason to be afraid. Things, don't, things aren't exactly as they appear to you. There's no reason to be afraid. Then he says, ye seek Jesus. He tells them that he knows why they're there. He knows that they've come looking for the body of Jesus. Jesus was crucified. He did die. They weren't deceived by what they saw with their eyes. Yes, he died, but he sure didn't stay dead. And then he says, he's risen. He's risen. The power of death, death that is so final, death that comes for every man, death that no man can escape, the power of death had been swallowed up by a far greater power in Jesus Christ. Amen. Then he says, he's not here. He's not here. 
The angel wants them to know that the tomb is empty. The Lord's place, the place that they laid him, he's gone. And listen, the Lord's tomb, it wasn't a place of despair. It wasn't a place of defeat. It was a place of glory, a place of power. It was a place of hope for them. This is the message of the resurrection, that there is hope for the lost soul. There is hope for you and for me. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the hope. That word hope is not hope so, maybe so. You know what it means. It means confident expectation. We celebrate it for the confident expectation that it brings for my soul. That I have forgiveness with God. I know peace with God. And one day, I'm going to be in the presence of God. Amen! What a rejoicing, what a, what a message to rejoice in. It wasn't a place of despair. It wasn't a place of fear. It was a place of glory, a place of hope. Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus. You came looking for his body, but he's not here. He's risen just like he said. And it brings hope for your soul. But let me make this application, friend. The fact is, if Jesus Christ died on the cross and he did not rise again from the dead, then everything that we live for and everything that we believe as Christian people means absolutely nothing. Nothing. Pastor Humphrey took us to this passage earlier. But go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we read in the first eight verses of 1 Corinthians 15, but if we move down in the passage just a little farther, look at verse 12. Paul says, If Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He hath raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen? dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Amen. He says, if Christ isn't risen, then Christ died for nothing. He lied and he has no power to save anybody. He can't say he couldn't save anybody. Then he can't save anybody. Now verse 14 tells us that our preaching is a waste of time. The gospel that I preach just about every Sunday is just a lie. We can't help anybody, and everybody's going to perish in the flames of hell. Verse 14 says our faith is foolish. It's a waste of time because Jesus couldn't save anybody. He's no different than Muhammad. He's no different than Buddha. He's no different than Confucius. He's no different than Joseph Smith or any other religious person. Verse 15 says that all Christians are liars. Our testimony is false. We're found false witnesses of God because we testify that God did raise him from the dead. 
Verse 17 says that we're all lost in our sins. If that's true, then Romans 10, 9 is also a lie. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's a total lie if Jesus didn't rise from the grave. Verse 18 says our departed loved ones are forever gone. Those that sleep in Christ, they're forever gone. They're dead, they're in the ground, or they're in hell today. I don't believe that's true, friend. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm going to see my dad again. Just yesterday was the anniversary of the the death of my dad eight years ago. Thinking about that. And I was rejoicing in the fact that I'm going to see him again. Because he lives. Amen? Verse 19 says we ought to be pitied. Because we're fools and we're building our lives and our hopes on the corpse of a dead man. But then you get to verse 20. And he says, but Christ is risen from the dead. And because he is, he's able to save the soul because he's alive. There's hope for you and for me because he's alive. Listen, one day, not only will we see our our saved loved ones, Not only that, but we're going to see the Savior face to face. And there is hope for my soul. Look at Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews 7. And verse 25. We could go back just a little bit. Verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth, to make intercession for them. He's able to save to the uttermost. Why? Because he's alive. Jesus is alive, just like the angel said, just like he said. And that was the message that those women needed to hear that Sunday morning. And friend, it is the very same message that you and I need to hear this Sunday morning. Because it's a message that produces Real change in a person's life. Go back to our text and you'll see the change of direction. Verse 7. The angel tells him, go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Here we find that the message they heard produced a real change of direction. They came to the tomb with sorrow in their heart, but they left a different way. The Bible says that they were amazed. That word amazed means displacement of mind. 
In other words, what they had seen and what they had heard at the empty tomb literally blew their minds. That's what it means. It was, al- it was almost more than they could really comprehend. And friends, such is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When the resurrection is first encountered, it might fill a heart with amazement. But when the resurrection of Christ is embraced as truth by faith, it brings about change in the life of the person who actually received that truth. Go over to John chapter 20. I want you to consider something out of the Gospel of John. And again, I don't want to jump too far ahead in our study through the Gospel of John, but this is, this is great. I want you to see these verses and. It tells about when Peter and John came to the tomb and what they did. And it's interesting to dig into some of the words that are used here. Notice in verse 1, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark under the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taketh away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, that's John, whom Jesus loved. And saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. Now what I want you to notice here is a few different words. In verse 5, we see the word saw. Got it again. And he's stooping down. This is John. And looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. That word saw, it means to take a glance at something. It refers to a brief, fleeting glimpse. This is what John did when he got there. He took a quick glance into the tomb and he saw that Jesus was gone, but that the grave clothes were still there. When you get to verses 6 and 7, you see a different word. Verse 6 says, Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and he went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie. He's seen the same thing, right? Same thing as John. But this word seeth is a different word than what we saw in verse 5. It means to scrutinize, not to take a quick glance at or glimpse at. It means to scrutinize. It carries the idea of looking around with a keen eye to catch all of the facts. It carries the meaning of like a detective on a crime scene. This is what Peter did when he walked into the tomb. He saw the grave clothes and the napkin lying by itself. But then you get to verse 8. Then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw. There's that word 
saw again. But this is a different word than is used in verse 5. It means to look with understanding. It carries the idea of grasping what you see. And when John took the time to take a closer look, he saw the evidence of the empty tomb and the grave clothes, and he understood in that moment that Jesus is alive. What was the result? The very next word. And he believed. And he believed. Friend, real belief, real belief is going to change a person's direction. If a sinner looks at the empty tomb, he could come up with all kinds of reasons why it can't be true. It's not possible. When men die, they're gone. They don't get up. They don't rise. That's impossible. But when an honest heart takes a look and scrutinizes the evidence of Scripture and the history, they'll come to the place that John came to, that the resurrection has got to be real. There is no other explanation, and Jesus is alive. Real belief is going to cause somebody to embrace not only the resurrection itself, but also the reason why Jesus had to die and why he was in the tomb. They're going to embrace that. Jesus had to die because mankind is sinful. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11 says, There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Verse 12 says, They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus had to die because mankind is sinful. And there was no other way for mankind to be saved. Jesus died because we all deserve God's wrath for our sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It tells us then that God loves sinners, and so He made a way for His wrath to be satisfied. John chapter 3 and verse 14 says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus was crucified to pay the penalty of death for your sin. But he didn't stay dead. He rose triumphantly over, the gra over death and the grave, and he's alive today. We read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3 and 4, how that Christ was died, how that he was buried, how that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. When you get down to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Verse 54 says, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in death. Where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? For the sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God that giveth us the victory over sin and over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Don't sit there like a bump on a log, friend. Rejoice! I've been saved for 75 years. Man, if you've been saved, if you've been saved even for a minute, you ought to rejoice in what the Lord has done for your soul. You've been saved for 26 years. You ought to rejoice even more that I know my sins are gone. I know heaven's my home. I know that God is my Savior. He lives right here. And I love Him more every day. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some are telling us today that it's not important to believe the resurrection is real. We need to only accept it symbolically. Well, the Bible says different, friend, because Romans 10, 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. You don't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave physically, bodily? You can't be saved, friend. There was a man a long time ago that I was witnessing to. He had come to church. He had come to church for months and months. Heard the gospel preached months and months. You could see that he was under conviction of his sin. And one Sunday morning after the 11 o'clock service at the invitation time, he came forward and he says, I need to be saved. And so the pastor motioned to me, and he said, come over here and take him. So I took this man back into a counseling room, and we sat down, and we started looking through the scriptures and going through the word of God regarding his sin and his need of salvation and regarding the fact that he's under God's wrath and judgment, but there's a way for him to, to have the wrath of God appeased on him, and that's through Jesus Christ. And we got through all of this and, and how we need to repent of our sin and we need to put our faith in Christ. And, and he's like, I'm ready. I want to do that. And I got to Romans 10, 9. And I said, if, the Bible show, says right here that if you believe in your heart, you can be saved. But he says, if, but the Bible says you've got to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Do you believe that? And he's like, whoa, well, I mean, I don't know if I would go that far. You know, to say that, he's, that he really bodily rose from the grave. I looked at him, I said, friend, friend, the word of God is telling you, if you don't believe this, then you can't be saved. It's not about just receiving it symbolically. It's about believing the truth that he's alive today. And if he's not, our faith is in vain. You can't possibly be saved because if he's not, he couldn't save then. He can't save now. He went away, a lost man. I don't know that he ever got saved. What I'm simply telling you is this. Real belief and real faith causes one to act. Because I really do believe. Acts 3.18 says, But those things which God before had shown by the mouth of all of his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled... The very next verse says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. That is a powerful connection. Yeah. 
that all that God had said about the Lord Jesus Christ, all that he had prophesied about, he has fulfilled all this. And because of this, repent that your sins may be blotted out. Wow. Real belief, real faith causes one to act by truly repenting of their sin, putting their faith for forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Let me ask you this question. There's plenty of evidence. It's not that there's not evidence. So it's not a question of that. The question that we're left with this morning is what about you? Have you accepted the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross? That He shed His blood, but He did that for your sin. Because you are an offense to God for breaking His law. And that He rose from the dead three days later in a literal, physical body. He rose from the grave. Have you truly believed that He is risen. He's not here, just as He said. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Some in this room this morning are not saved. You know it. I know it. Most importantly, God knows it. You say you believe in Jesus. He's the Son of God. You even say that you believe He's alive but you've never repented of your sin. And by your lack of action, you prove that you don't believe. Because real faith and real belief moves one to change direction. That's what we see in the Scriptures. about you? Heavenly Father, Lord, use your word today to draw men to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.